welcome to this special SaaS Revolution Radio Hour episode, devoted entirely to the topic of customer success. In the next hour, I'll take you on a journey that spans from the stages of SaaS Stock 16 and 17 through to SaaS Stock on Tour Helsinki and New York, to hear from some of the best customer success practitioners. The episode is divided into four parts. The first part defines customer success, helps you figure out when is the best time to start with it, and looks at how companies like Slack and Drift kicked it off. In the second part, our speakers cover how to build and scale a customer success team, and how to figure out the compensation for CSMs. We then look at all the important metrics that measure the efforts and help you adjust. Finally, the episode brings you ideas about what customer success programs could look like and how to enable them. Some obvious, some not so. Throughout the episode, aside from my narration, you'll hear from Dan Steinman from Gainsight, David Apple from Typeform, Rab Daliwell from Slack, Julie Hogan from Drift, Dave Blake from Client Success, Michelle Danis from Datadog, Jay Madeiras from NewsCred, and Lauren Crocetti from Yet. Some of these and many other excellent speakers will join us at SASLOC 18, where we'll cover all the newest trends and practices in customer success and tons of other valuable content during the three days in Dublin. As a listener, we genuinely want you to be part of the SASLOC global community we are building. In fact, I'm going to offer all listeners 300 euros, yes, that's 300 euros of all passes until the end of July. Marketing, please don't kill me. Hurry and use the code July300. You will join 3,000 new friends in Dublin on October 15th to 17th to learn how to build better SaaS businesses together. As always, if you like what we're doing with the show, please leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. We start this customer success special with a podcast episode. I recorded a little over a year ago with Dan Steinman, General Manager at Gainsight EMEA. Dan is a serial entrepreneur with 30 years experience. In each company he's worked at, Dan has been tightly connected with customers and their experience. Before joining Gainsight, he was the first ever VP of customer success at Marketo. As he scaled the team and the efforts of Marketo, he realized he needed a tech solution. Marketo would become Gainsight's third customer, an experience which would largely shape the course of the company he would later join. According to Dan, one of the key reasons for the customer success existence is making renewals non-events and upgrades almost non-events. He expands on this. Customer success becomes such a popular term that in some ways it's kind of become meaningless because it means almost anything you want it to mean, all the way from it's the words my CEO uses to pretend that we really care about our customers, all the way to it's an organization of people with customer success manager as a title who do X, Y, Z. So it's a little hard to define, but at a high level, I think the, the general definition of customer success is uh, the people or processes that drive the value of your product through uh, to the customer so that they actually realize the value that your product promises. One person said it this way, it's the team of people who deliver the promise that sales made. And I think that's true. And we can laugh at that because sometimes sales makes promises that are hard to keep. But customer success really is about delivering the value that the product has promised. Customer success is essential in SaaS. So when should companies start thinking about it? It should be something that the founders of a company are thinking about when they found the company. And I mean that literally. The first day that two guys sit around and say, hey, let's start a company to solve this problem, they are if they're building a software company, they're going to be a SaaS company, and customer success needs to be part of what they're thinking about from the very beginning. 
For a company to be really sure about the timing, Dan gives a very clear sign. I think there's one question I like to ask people when they say, am I ready to, to build a customer success team or to take it one step further to add some technology to my team? And that's this. What does the scramble at your company look like when the CEO casually walks by your office and says, by the way, I'm visiting XYZ customer tomorrow. Could you make sure I'm ready for that conversation? And a lot of people out there are smiling because they've been through this scramble. I've been through it hundreds of times. Uh, because if you have more than about 25 or 30 customers, you no longer have that intimate level of knowledge about exactly what they're doing. When you have 10 customers, everyone in the company knows everything about them. At some point after 10, you start to lose that intimacy. And when the CEO says, hey, I'm going to visit Acme tomorrow, make sure I'm ready, there's a scramble that goes on. Okay, who talked to them last? Let's dust off that Excel spreadsheet where we were keeping track of how they're doing. Let's go run that report to see if they're actually using our product. Let's go to the survey tool and see what their last survey response was, et cetera. There is a major change in how companies nowadays look at customer success and when they start it. In the early days of SaaS, companies built customer success teams only when they discovered that their churn rate was pretty high. This was the birth of customer success at Salesforce when they discovered post-IPO that their churn churn rate was really high. They were great at uh, gaining new customers, but were really struggling with keeping them. That was true at Marketo when I joined now seven years ago. The churn rate was higher than would have been uh, that then would have made sense to do an IPO, which we were planning to do already. So it used to be customer success became the afterthought to a churn problem. But today in Silicon Valley, most VCs won't fund even a Series A, even in some cases an angel investment, unless there's somebody already thinking about and in charge of customer success. Six months after I spoke to Dan on the podcast, he hosted a panel with a few customer success experts at SaaStock 17. One of the people sitting on it was Rav Daliwal, head of EMEA customer success at Slack, who gave an insight into how Slack started off with customer success. Your first hire, your first couple of hires are really important because they're going to help you figure out what is it you should be doing. So in the absence of, you know, should I be helping people on board? Should I help them be understand this, this in the product? Should I help them put in a change strategy for rolling out? They're, those are kind of the critical things you want them to, uh, to do. And I know from our experience, we spent a lot of time collecting data and figuring out what we shouldn't do, what stuff that didn't have a lot of good impact on customers. So it's a little bit of everything at first, and I think then over time you, uh, you're able to pare that down to, to the key. And went into specifics of what they did and didn't do initially. When you start your business, you can hire a lot of very smart people, and there will be a tendency to go into a room and go, this is what would be really useful to do for customers or do with them. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, go spend a lot. Of, the first thing I did, it's like two weeks, I just did support tickets. That's all I did. I sat at my, my desk, just did support tickets, figured out, look at the data, talk to customers, find out what it is they need, rather than prescriptively thinking, we're going to deliver this because it will be good. At that panel, Dan made a very important point about what would be the first thing on customer success managers' mind. If you read the 10 laws of customer success that we curated with the community, one of those laws is product is the number one priority. I really honestly believe that the customer success team should be thinking all the time about how to make sure that you have the best product in the marketplace. And they're out there. In fact, when I advertise for CSMs, I always use the term field product manager because I want them to be thinking that they're a product manager and that they're driving change in the product as needed by customers. So 
it's a little harder to say what is the optimal relationship. I guess I could say good. Yeah, we want a good relationship. <laughs> Figuring out how to make sure that information gets from the CSMs to the product team is not an easy task. There's no piece of software that I've ever seen that magically does that. I think you just have to create relationships and conversations, and it should start at the top. VP of customer success, VP of product should have lunch together frequently because there's a lot to talk about. And bringing the whole teams together, at least that was my experience at Marketo and at Gainsight, has been really valuable. Just a couple of months ago in Helsinki, I sat across from Judy Hogan, head of customer success at Drift, who shared a very similar sentiment and told the story how further Drift has managed to involve customers in product decisions. Uh, I'll share a story. In fact, um, we, we go through each month, we do something called a marketable moment. So we'll roll out a new feature. And in January of, of this year, we did our kickoff, our, our whole company kickoff. And as the person at customer success, my feedback to, to the rest of the leadership team was, this feels very us focused. It's a lot of us sitting in a room talking about our goals of the year and our objectives. We need to have customers here. Why, if we're going to be customer obsessed, why not kick off the year with customers? So we had a panel, we invited six customers, we sat on stage, I moderated, and uh, one of the questions I asked was, if you had a, a bag of money and a magic wand to throw a drift, to do whatever you wanted, what would that be? And all of them had really tough feedback for us. And something about David is he is really keen on immediate feedback. So I'm sitting and have my phone uh, sitting down here and I see my WhatsApp blowing up as I'm moderating and David's messaging me going, this is brutal, this is brutal. Oh my goodness, we have to fix this, we have to fix this. And I'm sort of semi-looking at what he's, he's sharing his feedback in real time while moderating. But the cool thing was, following up with all this feedback uh, from, from the team, we had our entire product and engineering team sitting there. And before the end of the day, we had reshaped what our February marketable moment would be, and it ended up being revenue reporting. Um, so we scrapped basically what was on the roadmap, is a direct result of seeing that feedback and seeing that. So I think that's another part of it. Um, really thinking about the core of what you're doing and what those goals are for, for your business and the way you roll out the roadmap, but making sure it reflects what those end users are really requesting, what they need from you. Talking to customers is vital because you'll often make assumptions that are wrong. Dave Blake, CEO of Client Success, shares a story from his time in Adobe. I remember an experience we had again at, at Adobe where we were, um, we had a, a particular pain point where we thought our customers uh, we're really frustrated with the time to resolution with bugs. We had a very high time uh, to resolution. So our engineering team and our customer success and support teams did a ton of effort over several months to, um, to reduce the time of closure, closure of bugs. And uh, one time we went up to one of our strategic accounts. It was actually an Intel uh, Intel. And we went and we uh, um, sat down with them and we talked about this. We said, hey, we know that, that uh, you're concerned about the time to resolution. We're doing this. We, we mapped out all these um, internal programs that we were working on to reduce the time to, to resolution with bugs. And Intel actually took a step back and they said, actually, we don't care about the resolution as much. We understand these, these things take time. We, we have bugs ourselves. We understand it what you're missing is that all we need is we need more transparency. 
because we're representing uh, uh, our stakeholders uh, for you, and they're asking for when is, what's the status, what's the status. And so that was a great example to, to me to say we were focusing on the wrong things. And when you go and you ask the customer what their expectations are, it may completely redesign and redefine your customer journey map. So make sure you engage your customers in this process in some way or represent a representation of customers as you build out your own customer journey map. You are listening to the Customer Success Radio Hour special. So far, we've heard about the fundamentals of customer success. Up next, we discuss how to build and scale the customer success team. As Dan mentioned, customer success requires a team. How do you start with it? So I think you have to start uh, by thinking about this as an operational function and a process and metrics-driven function, not as a relationship-oriented function. That causes you to hire a different kind of person. There's lots of people who have done account management who know how to build great relationships. That's maybe not the primary skill that's required to build and lead a customer success team. I think you need to be more operationally and process focused. So if, and I built two, three teams now, three customer success teams at three different companies. If I was to do it again today, I would do one thing I've done the last two times, and that is to hire a senior level, maybe not VP level, but a pretty senior person who's going to manage some of your key customers, but is also going to start helping you build the processes so that the next 30 customer success managers have some process and some way that we can scale to manage 1,000 customers instead of 20. So hire, I think hire above the current needs of the company. Hire somebody who's going to help you do more than just manage customers, but is actually probably uh, in a position where they can become a director or a VP and can prove that by helping you build out scalable processes. Because it's really important that you start with the thought process that this is not a relationship job and it's not a job about analytics. This is a job about operations, process, and metrics. So find that person who has that orientation, ask them to manage some key customers, but also start building out those processes that become repeatable and scalable and automation, automationable. That's not a word, but I just made it up. (laughs) You need to be able to automate those kinds of processes. So that's the thought process that I want in that first person. And then once you get that kind of at least um, mapped out philosophically, now you can hire people who are just going to be managing customers because if you have the processes and some automation in place, that can help drive their workload. They don't have to be these, what we would call a unicorn CSM that intuitively knows exactly when the right day is to call a particular customer because you know it's been too long and they're probably struggling with XYZ. We want to take that out of their hands by operationally figuring out how we're going to do customer success and then using those operations and those processes to drive the individual CSM's workload. One of the fundamental challenges of any VP of customer success is how quickly the number of customers outgrows the team. How do you scale the team in a convincing way to the CEO? Rav and Slack share some ideas. At Slack, we basically had one, well, we had a customer experience team who are frankly amazing, and that's outside of engineering, still our second biggest part of the business. But we had one role, it was called the account manager, and that account manager did pretty much everything. So they were part SDR, part salesperson, 
part success manager, sometimes even part solutions engineer helping on the technical. Uh, and this is a brilliant experience for the customer. You're just dealing with the same person. The same person can help you with everything. Um, but then you start to be able to, you, as you start to grow and be successful as a business, that doesn't scale very well at all. And so I think what happened was probably around <clears throat> mid-2015, there was a sort of realization that although this is a terrific experience, the customer deals with one person, it's not it's going gonna, it's gonna to break, right? And, and so we need to kind of break some of these out into specializations. So the first one was the obvious one, which was technical. We yep. were dealing with bigger and bigger customers. Let's have a solutions engineering team. Uh, and then I think there was a, a little bit later, a, a much more um, deeper understanding that actually getting 100 people launched on Slack is very different from 5,000 people. And so there needs to be some specialized focus on that. And so I think we really did that as we saw that the size of deal, size of customer was growing. We needed to have more specialization. Dave Blake, CEO of Client Success, expands on this furthermore by offering a few ballpark guidelines on how to scale the team. And, and we look at it on, there's a couple of rules of thumb. One is that typically you would uh, look at a, um, a $2 million book of business per CSM in general. The lower your, your price point, obviously the, um, the, you can't support that. If you have a, if you're selling a product that's an average price point of $5,000, um, a CSM couldn't support that $2 million. But if you're in more of a mid, uh, mid market, small, small business and enterprise, a, a typical rule of thumb is about 2 million in ARR that they could manage or 50 accounts. Once a CSM gets to about 50 accounts, they just can't, um, effectively manage 50 relationships. And so at that point, you need technology or automation. The other factors that you look at are contract value. The higher the contract value, obviously the lower the number of, cu of customers that each CSM is managing. A and the lower the contract value, the higher number they can manage. And then the last um, um, uh, consideration is product complexity. If your product is much more complex, then you'll want to lower the ratio with your CSMs. So just a simple guideline on how do I know. Uh, the best companies, they establish this uh, a, a rule or a trigger model with their CFO so that they know that for every, for every X number of customers or X dollars of revenue, I should be able to hire a CSM um, to get in front of that revenue. He also provides a model for evolving the team with the evolution of the company. A typical kind of evolution it, it, it follows this. Again, big, small, maybe a very simple like that. Then you go to SMB, mid-market, enterprise, and strategic. You may start to go geography in different locations, global geography, and then into a, um, per, um, a vertical segmentation where you have very specialized expertise in media or entertainment. Uh, I would suggest segmenting your customers fairly early. Um, once you get about 200 customers, then I would suggest a segmenting. Again, you may have uh, hired differently, and you may have different resources. For a strategic account team, it's a different profile that you're hiring for, and it's, there's maybe different metrics and, and different, um, uh, different objectives versus your mid-market team where you, have a, uh, you hire a different personality who's much more tactical, likes to solve problems versus a high-level relationship. So find your ways to segment, segment your data, segment your team, and, and segment your strategy uh, for, for those customers. Regardless of the stage of what is really important to make sure the customer success teams are not siloed, remember how imperative it is that customer success is a company-wide mentality. Let's hear it from Jane Medeiros, VP Customer Programs at NewsCred, about how they've addressed that. 
We um, had a lot of people who had the right philosophy and mentality around customers, but we were such uh, siloed organizations that sometimes we had lack of alignment just from a top-down organizational point of view around how we should be servicing customers in the best way. Um, so what we did was actually employ an agile model similar to what Spotify has, um, where we um, operationally created squads of cross-functional people and made the squad the first team. Um, and what I mean by that is each squad services a book of business at NewsCred, and for us, they tend to be vertical focused. So we have a financial services squad, we have a technology squad, um, and within each squad, we have cross-functional people across new sales, renewals managers. On the customer success side, we have program success folks. Um, we sell into only Fortune 500, so we also have a large professional services team, um, and then also our tax services team. Um, and because the squad is the first team, there's a couple of interesting benefits to that. Um, the first is that, um, to Michelle's point, the people in our organization are super important. And as we grow in scale, what we realized was we were getting a little farther away from the people who are kind of out in the field working with customers. Um, and it's really critical for us to be able to trust the feedback that these folks are bringing back to the organization. So when we employ the squad model, what we're actually saying is, hey, squads, you guys have autonomous decision-making power to work with your customers together. And we, as leadership, our role is actually to unblock the things in your path and to also take um, your learnings and apply them and scale them out into the other squads if they work. And the second big benefit around alignment for that is, hey, if you isolate uh, the things that you do in one squad, you're able to make bigger bets, right? And you know, I think oftentimes as leaders or growing companies, we're thinking, wow, we really want to try this thing, but what if it fails, right? Um, so one of the things that the squad model helps us do is, hey, if this squad failed, let's not scale it up. But if this squad does something incredibly well and, and it's super profitable or it's really valuable for customers, then let's bring that back and create a process for all the squads. Should the team be made up of customer success experts alone or should you try to sneak in someone else with a potentially completely different background? Drifted the latter. Here is Julie Hogan expanding on that. We historically operated with everybody in the company doing support. And we would tell people that, and they'd be like, ooh, that's a great idea, what a, what a cool story. It's a great narrative, but the reality was everybody doing support was a crummy experience for our customers, and it also meant that nobody owned it. And so when Dana and I were talking when I joined, he shared an idea. He was like, wouldn't it be fun and really interesting for us to learn from somebody who could come run this team and help us build this team, who has not necessarily technical SaaS experience, but really, really strong front of the house experience and hospitality, and like, light bulb went off. And I, I thought about that, I was like, absolutely, because there are so many correlations in support to the experience you have as a guest, or the experience you have as a visitor or something. And of course, we need people who manage support to understand technology and to be able to problem solve and work through triage, but at the core of that is, is a, an understanding of people who have needs and people who have challenges and, and need fast solutions. So we started our, our hunt and we ended up hiring somebody who went to uh, the Cornell School of Hospitality, which in the States is the best school for our hospitality, had nine years in the hospitality and hotel industry, and we hired her from this Four Seasons Hotel. So she was the former manager of all guest relations at the Four Seasons, and she's now helping us take the standards of customer experience and value 
that she held her entire team to at the hotel and translating that into SaaS. And so um, I think that's, that's a big part of it when we think about our team and growth, not just looking for someone who did the exact thing at a similar company at the same stage, but are there people we can learn from maybe outside of, of SaaS or outside of, of technology who can help us innovate in the way we, we work with customers so that we're taking that human experience to the next level. What about compensation? Dan Steinman picks up this highly debated topic from the podcast. Customer success people have a revenue responsibility. They may not have a quota. Uh, they may not be held accountable for a particular sales target, but they have revenue responsibility because renewal and upsell doesn't happen unless you do customer success really well. And so it begs for a compensation plan that has some variable component to it. And the I think the general consensus is coming in around 80-20, where a customer success team or manager uh, will have an 80% base and a 20% variable component that will be driven off of some set of metrics that are uh, either a leading indicator or actually the net retention number. You know, are customers uh, not churning and are they buying more stuff? from us that the combination of those things is what we would call net retention and that's often the driving uh, measurement of whether you're doing customer success really well and i think you can hold customer success accountable for that number even if they're not doing the actual sales transactions they're setting them up and i the analogy i use is a lot of pre-sales teams have an sc whether it's called sales engineering or solution consulting or whatever but a technical arm of their organization, that technical arm gets compensated for deals getting done, even though they're not the ones closing the deals, the salespeople are. And I think you can see customer success in that same way where the overarching uh, remit for them might be something like this. You are responsible to make sure that the next sales deal happens in the customer success world. That next sales deal is either a renewal or an upsell. In the pre-sales world, that next deal is obviously a new business deal. So that that same remit could be a description of the SE organization as well as the customer success organization, one being pre-sales, one being kind of post-sales. Dave Blake offers another framework to look at this. And I commonly see uh, three models. One is a base, and I've gone through each of these, and there's certainly pros and cons, but uh, one is base, the second is base plus bonus, and the third is base plus variable. And I really advocate now, after going through all those, to try to add some kind of variable component to your CSM's compensation plan to reward them for all the work that they do. Um, and focus highly on, uh, when you look at the variable, we have this model where we say uh, CSM's on your right and sales on your left. A CSM model that we typically like to see is a 75% base to 25% variable. And then within that variable component, to consider 75% of that variable based on retention, the other based on growth, and then maybe even switching that for sales, the sales counterpart, so that you have this collaboration and, the, and this alignment across comp plans, but clear roles and responsibilities on how, uh, what their uh, roles and responsibilities are versus, um, by showing retention is primarily for the CSMs and growth for the, for the sales reps. We've just heard about the essentials of building a customer success team. It's that sort of valuable and epic content that we love bringing to you, our community. 
I really wanted you to hear it firsthand at SAS Talk 18 in Dublin and share the epiphanies with the amazing 3,000 SAS people we're bringing together. Once again, at the risk of pissing off my marketing team, I'm offering you a whopping 300 euro discount on SAS Talk 18 tickets. There'll be 100 speakers to learn from. Just head over to sasdoc.com, use code JULY300 before the end of the month. You're listening to the SAS Revolution Show Radio Hour on customer success. From building and scaling the team, we move to the next important topic, looking at the right metrics and measuring the efforts. Now that you have an idea of what customer success is and how to build the team, it's important to bring in some clarity about the metrics that are important to be tracked. At SASDOC New York, Sean Green, VP Account Management at Blackline, used a very interesting metaphor to describe how Blackline sees sales and customer success. Customer success is the church, sales is the state. Customer success is not so much quota-driven the way sales is with customers opening up more to it because their main goal is to enable and make them successful in a more obvious way. The way Blackline measures customer success effort is by setting a certain expectation on churn. What else can you do? Dave Blake takes us through the different important metrics through the different stages of the company. My suggestion is as you look at different metrics, and this is, this is a very small sample, is one, to understand there's different types of metrics, and then two, keep it basic at first. Focus your team on the essence of what is important to you as a company. Obviously, there's, of course, success metrics. Uh, you want to look at MRR growth. You want to look at um, churn. Uh, you want to look at logo retention as, as well as revenue retention. Um, and, and net negative churn is what everybody, uh, or negative churn, excuse me, is what everybody's looking for. Um, but there's also a lot of deep dive analyses that you should do as well around cohort analysis, um, churn analysis. There's, there's different things that will be a little bit deeper. Um, engagement metrics. At the end of the day, I believe a lot of customer success really comes down to um, engagement. One is your customer's engagement with your product and their engagement and your engagement with them. Um, but also, how is your team engaging with your customers? How are they performing? So those are some metrics. And then one that uh, sometimes people discount is subjective metrics. Um, this is just getting feedback from the team. Those who are interacting with your customers the most, uh, giving them the opportunity to provide insights into the health. Um, we're big believers in combining uh, objective and subjective metrics. Because if you look at just the uh, objective metrics, just the data, uh, driven insights, it could be a false positive. Um, we, we know, I know of an experience where somebody was using a marketing automation solution, and uh, for that company and for that marketing team, even though they were, um, they were unhappy with the solution, they weren't letting their usage drop off at all because it was part of their daily, the plumbing of the, op- of the operation. And this marketing automation team didn't know they were going to churn until the day they turned off their, their, um, their solution and switched over to HubSpot. Um, and that's because it, and it caught, them off, uh, caught them by surprise because they were relying on usage metrics alone to understand the health. Now, if that company had called and had engaged with the, this, this client and really understood the challenges, they may have raised a red flag by simply... Um, uh, notifying, changing the color to red, and, and giving um, insights about the health that could have saved that account. So you want to keep it simple, build slowly, but don't forget both subjective insights as well as objective uh, data-driven insights as well. 
At the stage of hyper-growing, how does a company like Drift measure customer success activities? Julie Hogan gives an insight. People focus so much on happiness and experience, but there's nothing measurable. And then others who care only on growth, only on churn, but there's no focus on the outcome or the experience. And so my, my answer is I think it should be both. Um, what we've done at Drift is, since I joined is we've moved the entire team to salary and removed variable. And we've done it for this reason. We wanted to reserve the, the ease of customer shift in funnels, knowing that we're expanding globally, knowing that we're expanding in segments, and not wanting to create unnecessary challenges around moving customers to the right CSM based off of comp. So based off of, oh, I own this customer, why are you pulling them from my bucket and moving them there? We wanted to keep that playing field even for this first year as we were building the foundation um, each member of the team, however, does have a gross churn. We focus on gross churn as opposed to net churn right now. Um, a gross churn monthly target because um, we really want to build a strong foundation of customers who are with us and staying with us because they're seeing the intended value of our product. Um, something we're going to add to that with the, the addition of a member of our team from the Four Seasons is uh, standards for service excellence. So combining not only your ability to hit that number, but are your customers getting what they want from the experience they have with our products and our brand? So that's something we're adding. Um, and once we, we learn exactly how we roll it out, I'm happy to, we're gonna share, um, I'll be working with Garrett Hard on sharing some of that. Um, the other piece is I think eventually, as we move through, this is, this is effectively our first full year of having a paid product. Once we get that foundation, to a place where we feel it's really stable, adding in that net component. So really thinking about the, the upgrade and, and how you, you roll that into the composition. Ideally, if customers are staying with you, the upgrade path is an outcome as opposed to something you're chasing. And our goal is to keep, keep customer success managers focused very much on customers seeing the intended success of the product as it is today and not chasing churn or chasing upgrades, but instead really focusing on the core initial value. As we heard earlier from Dave Blake, retention should be one of the main metrics that CSMs are measured and compensated on. At this point, it's important to introduce a caveat, whatever you're measuring, do it right. Retention has been something David Apple obsessed and lost sleep over for three years. He's also felt churn at tight form was too high, so he went on to see if, if his benchmarks were correct which led him to discover three important things about retention. He shares them at the SASDOC 17 stage. First of all, I'd recommend being very careful about which benchmarks you're using. I lost three years of sleep for no good reason, <laughs> because I was using the wrong benchmarks. And, uh, and I think that it's important to use benchmarks that are really relevant uh, to your company and your circumstances and your stage of growth. I also think that data is really key to understanding our churn. Uh, we're lucky at Typeform to have a data team that helps us understand what behaviors are driving retention, um, to understand how to segment our customers better so that we can take actionable insights out of it. And lastly, I'd recommend, not, especially in the first couple years of your business, not worrying too much about the monthly churn rate because it's very volatile. It'll change based on your growth, based on, for example, a marketing campaign. Uh, there's a lot of things that can make, make it jump up and down pretty quickly. In our case, it's also seasonality. Uh, and what I would recommend focusing on more is your retention curve for each cohort, because I think that's a better predictor of how you're actually uh, growing your business and how sustainable it is. As anything else in SaaS, what you measure and then self-reflect on is key in making customer success work. 
while NPS may have for a very long time been a go-to metric, may turn out that there's more vanity than truth in it. Retention, churn and engagement are more accurate. You're listening to the Customer Success Radio Hour brought to you by the SaaS Revolution Show and SaaStock. Up next, we put everything together and figure out how a customer success program might actually look. You have the knowledge, you have the team. You know what you'll be measuring. How do you enable customer success actually happening? Sales has sales enablement. What does customer success have? Michelle Dannis, Director of Customer Success at Datadog. Jane Medeiros, VP Customer Success Programs in NewsCred. Lauren Crocetti, VP Client Services of Yext. Elaborate from the Sastock New York stage. So we have a sales enablement team, or an enablement team, um, and we realized that, exactly to your point, that every enablement session, and this was kind of an internal enablement team, um, was sales-focused. So it was like, great, we launched this product, we get the talk track as to how to sell it, and then my team would be like, and then once it's sold, what am I supposed to do? Like, what happens next? So um, we've kind of urged the separation that there should be an enablement team specific to like kind of new business sales something a bit more like bigger picture versus um, a uh, client success, customer success team enablement. Um, we actually decided to build it within our own org and broke it out of like the general enablement team. This way we could just control it better or once we're launching products and realize when we're when a client's live or we're really getting tactical with what it's gonna feel like to go live, uh, we could control the messaging better with like our decks and just make it a bit more, um, I guess like put it into practice easier within our own work. Yeah, and for us, I think it's a combination, and it's a it's a joint effort between a lot of teams. But two crucial teams are um, our our product marketing team um, in combination with our training team. And our training team is um, is cross functional across sales and CS um, because for us that that separation that journey is actually one journey starting from that very first touch point all the way through to renewal and upsell. Um, so we take um, our product marketing materials, turn them into scalable training materials, and try to enable the entire organization through that. And we actually do customer success, also our solutions engineers and our sales engineers all partner together for enablement sessions for our customers. Um, Sometimes that's if they add a new product and also sometimes it's just to increase engagement. Um, So we kind of partner with the different teams and we focus on which customers need to be enabled. The best way to build a program is to tie it to the customer success journey. Dave Blake expands. But as you look at building out your customer journey maps, um, this is a, it's not something you could typically do in an afternoon. Typically customers who um, build out their customer journey map, it's a, it's, it's a journey itself. Um, a lot of them spend several days, they get a multi, um, a cross-functional group in a room and talk about the customer journey from the first time they have any kind of interaction with your brand all the way through the entire life cycle of the company. I've seen some companies who have dedicated an entire room to the customer. They call it the customer journey room. Um, I've had another one called the customer listening post, where they have this customer journey built with um, post-it notes or other, other things on the board, and they're always kind of refining that over time. I've seen some that have built a room with just completely whiteboard uh, walls, painted whiteboard walls that they that they go in there. They uh, monitors that that help understand the customer experience, um, have all their metrics around the customer, and so it's it's this room where you can kind of go in and be immersed in your customer. Helping with onboarding and providing feedback to the product team are all very important elements of making users successful. But sometimes 
you would be surprised by the sort of things that may help customers on their journey. Judy Hogan shares a funny story at Sastock on Tour, Helsinki. People tend to ask Drift a lot, like, how do you, why are you flooding my LinkedIn feed? I'm looking at faces of David Gerhardt and other people all the time. How do you, how did you get that to happen? Um, for one of our remarkable moments, the ask of the entire company was, can every single person please make a 30 second video talking about the marketable moment? And we got flooded after, we were really surprised by this, flooded with questions of being like, can you help us organize similar? Can you send us the role of plan and structure? And we were like, yeah, we, we just asked people to do it and said, hey, here's your five minute um, time on the calendar. We're gonna hold you accountable to it. And you know, will we be able to do something like that when we're 270 people or 370 people? Maybe not. Um, but I think keeping it simple, you know, we didn't over-architect a, a giant project plan. We just put really quick time and made it simple for people. So I think keeping keeping things simple and not overthinking simple gestures and measures um, help help you a lot to do the things that don't scale. You know, often customers will leave. I, I live and breathe churn and customer experience. That, that's uh, the world I operate in. And often you hear customers say to you, you know, it wasn't one thing. It was death by a thousand cuts. And usually those are a lot of small little things that lead to the big thing, which is their exit from your company and using your product. And so for us, it's thinking about, could there be a thousand little moments or a thousand little things that, that supplement the value they get from your product and from your brand that can make that experience that much better? And those are the things that we really want to continue to, to lean into. Whether it's by telling them how to log in and use your products or holding them accountable to posting the little bits of content every day, there are numerous ways to help your customers and make them more successful in their endeavors. Whatever you decide to do, remember starting with customer success earlier rather than later is the way to go. And with that, our customer success radio hour concludes. If you found it useful, please leave a review, tell us how you liked it. Send it to others who may benefit from the advice of it. Almost everyone you heard from on our podcast will be at SASCOC 18. Dave Blake and Dan Steinman will be returning. And we'll also be welcoming Boaz Arbel, VP of Customer Success at Logs.io, who draw analogies from the pilot navigator cockpit relationship to the sales customer success relationship. He will answer questions like who owns the customer, who's in charge of the process, who leads, and who's the shotgun, and how to hand over the baton from sales to customer success. I really want you to get all the value that you, we will have on offer, which is why for July, we're offering this crazy 300 euro discount. Just use the code JULY300. Join us for what will be a truly epic event. In the run-up to SASDOT 18, we will be selecting other hot topics and turning them into podcast radio hours. So make sure you are subscribed not to miss them. Thanks for listening. See you next time.